And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly... I can't do that. Weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. I'm, I'm, I'm Zach. I have a frog in my throat this week. Uh, if you guys have been following along, when I was saying last week, man, I'm kind of feeling a little under the weather, uh, it's because I got sick and now I have a sore throat that I am still dealing with. You sound uh, great, so Zach. I, I sound I sound great, but Adam, I'm not sure I can talk as much this episode as I think this subject matter really deserves. And I well, feel like that's that's why we brought in an expert. Exactly. Thank you, because we're problem solvers here. <laughs> we found someone who could talk about the intersection of Spider-Man and Nightcrawler in much greater detail than we could alone, Adam. You may know her from work on super sex sexuality fantasy and the superhero a collection of essays that uh, she edited may know her from sequential scholars on twitter and from the podcast oh gosh oh golly all wow it's anna peppered anna how are you today i'm hanging in there not sick but yeah i mean uh, the the sore throat adds texture to your voice it's a sultry texture (laughs) lean into it it really does. I was I was making some jambalaya uh, today for dinner, <laughs> and I tell you what, if I ever want to do an accent that sounds like I'm a, you know, a fishing boat captain out in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you just got to get sick first, and then your voice <laughs> your voice goes away, and it sounds like you chain smoke cigarettes. So it works out really well. So Anna, you, you just uh, did a piece about uh, our main character this week, last uh, last week on Comics XF about Nightcrawler. You are a Kurt Wagnerologist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why don't we start by? Can you just tell us why you love Nightcrawler so much? Because we know you do. <laughs> I mean, I've got a whole year's worth of podcasting talking about that very question. So go listen to Gosh Golly Wow. But, you know. Which which is an Excalibur podcast, if you guys haven't picked up. Listen, let's be real. If you're listening to our podcast and you didn't pick up that that was an Excalibur podcast. (laughs) What are you doing? I'm not 100% (laughs) sure an Excalibur podcast is what you're into. But Anna's great. So you should check it out regardless. You you do a good show. (laughs) Great show. Good friends. Nice time. But yeah, I mean, it's the same thing that draws most people to Nightcrawler, right? It's the fact that he is one of the rare Marvel monsters who doesn't hate being a monster, who like really Aww. loves being different and embraces his difference. <laughs> and that doesn't mean it's easy for him. It's a struggle. He struggles, as do we all, especially if we're people that, you know, have a society that's always trying to police our bodies, which Nightcrawler has, which, you know, ties in with a lot of experiences of real world otherness that people can have and people identify with him for all different reasons because of that. He's such a flexible metaphor, literally and figuratively. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's that. And, you know, the fact that he gets to be a joyful monster, you know, and again, sort of that the quest for joy and hope and optimism that's his hero's journey right i mean that's his struggle to maintain those things and 
it makes him a bit of a throwback character in some ways, but like a throwback character that's sort of self-conscious about his throwbackness. I mean, I sort of mm-hmm. wrote that about that mm-hmm. a little bit when I wrote about Swashbucklers last week on Comics XF, you know, the way that he's this character who is a performer who like is invested in the power of performance. And, you know, that makes him an interesting character in a lot of ways too, because he can become a commentary on those superhero tropes, you know, of the ways that the superhero genre itself persecutes difference. But is there another way to approach that? And the fact that he's this character who's born different, and, you know, that was unusual in the X-Men comics at the time. He was sort of the first character that had that story that gives him a unique perspective on that. And, you know, that's often been something that he contributes to the X-Men franchise over the years. That was a great distillation. Uh, we are, <laughs> I've had a lot of practice. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. I mean, we know this, this is somebody, a character that you think about quite a bit. Um, we are going to traipse across uh, the timeline here. but. Uh, Several of these stories intersect with Spider-Man in an interesting way as well, right? Right, Zach? Yeah, that's that. That's why we chose this episode because what happens on this show, folks? If you're not one of the initiated, uh, if you're not washed in the blood of Battle of the Atom, uh, <laughs> Nightcrawler's religious. All of my references can now like be thematic instead of just Zach being a guy who went to church for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> it's it's because Patreon supporter Matt Smith went on over to ComicsXF.com. Uh, click the Patreon link that takes you directly to patreon.com slash comicsxf. Why he didn't go directly to patreon.com first <laughs> is a mystery that none of us will know. Uh, but Matt did go over to that Patreon, did reach deep down in his heart in pocketbook, and tossed a couple of coins into our coffers so that we would talk about Marvel Team-Up 89, which is a Spider-Man and Nightcrawler story. And we're not going to talk about it first because I think we should talk about the first Spider-Man and Nightcrawler story uh, first, but if you want to be like Matt, go do all that stuff. It supports all the great work that goes on at Comics XF. It supports all of our writers, like Anna on occasion, which is always a delight. And yeah, go uh, go do that, and then we'll do an episode about your dumb pick. We said it <laughs> in the past, Matt. Your pick is great. I had a lot of fun with this. Other people, step up your game. Uh, but Matt, <laughs> if you want to be like Matt, excuse me, Matt's already done his due diligence. Uh, but if you want to be like Matt. The line has rarely been shorter uh, to jump in and get an episode. We can almost get you in within one quarter. So, yeah, you know, and and that's not due to a lack of patrons. That's due to the patrons um, maybe just not returning emails. So, yeah, if you're a patron (laughs) who hasn't returned emails, I'm looking at our list. We talked about this last week, me and Adam. We have 38 on this list of y'all that, hey, Maybe you, maybe you were a patron, patron in the past, and then for whatever reason you're not anymore. But you never got an episode. You still get an episode. I don't know what to tell you. You paid us the money. We just didn't get around to it. It's fine. Give us, give us your stuff. Like, yeah. just tell us a story. We'll do it. We're bored. We're doing an excellent <laughs> podcast. But what's not boring is the first appearance of Spider-Man and Nightcrawler intersecting in Amazing Spider-Man. 161 and 162 and we've got a bonus character in this one this is a len ween uh and ross andrew uh comic released in 1976 so nightcrawler is a fresh new character at this point yeah we're starting right off in the danger room 
and the danger room look pretty gymnasium like uh and <laughs> you could tell this is early because the portrayals of these characters are really interesting there's a great panel of wolverine chuckling that just looks absolutely ridiculous <laughs> so anna anna i know you're the nightcrawler expert here do you know in terms of sequential appearances which one which appearance this is for nightcrawler because it's not his first appearance no, not his first appearance. I mean, it's within the first year of his creation, so this is a very early appearance. I should have looked it up. I should have looked it up sequentially, like where it falls. I heard you were a sequential scholar, so I assume. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is actually his ninth appearance, period. Okay. So this is very fresh Nightcrawler. Uh, this is, uh, for those of you keeping track at home, right after X-Men 100 the comic that looks an awful lot like our album art for this podcast. And not only do we get Nightcrawler dealing with Spider-Man because Spider-Man thinks Nightcrawler is a demon assassin, which, okay. Fair, fair. fair assessment, right? A shot rings out from the, uh, you know, the book depository from- looking down on the, on the carnival. And uh, when he, when Spider-Man gets up to the spot, there's, there's Nightcrawler sitting there with a, the, you know, wrapping up the gun. So fair assessment, Spider-Man. <laughs> there's just so, there's so much, like, I love the continuing thing in this, like, little story where Spider-Man seems to keep thinking Nightcrawler isn't real and he has to take yeah. pictures of him to prove to himself that he's real. And I'm like, you just fought him for like an hour. I'm okay, worried about on. your sanity. Hold, hold on. Listen, in Spider-Man's defense, one of his biggest bad guys is a dude who likes to do special effects to screw this with him. This is true. This is true. Okay. Okay. And he's like, okay, we got like a, we got a demon, but he's dressed like an acrobat and I am at Coney Island. So, I mean, like there is a non-zero Mysterio chance here. That's a problem for him. <laughs> That's fair. It's very fair. How do you, how do you feel about the portrayal of Nightcrawler in these issues? Because it's very new and it is a Len Wein one where Nightcrawler technically co-created by Len Wein, but I don't think Len Wein would argue very much if he said that was Dave's character. It feels like this Nightcrawler, to me, is pretty fully formed. He's, like, most of the way there for being so early. Well, yeah, but he's, like, got that angriness that he has in his very early appearances, which, like, will get dropped, you know, very mm-hmm. soon after this. Like, this almost feels out of step with how they were changing the character in the pages of X-Men, even by this time. But that's mm-hmm. part of what makes it so hilarious. And I mean, <laughs> I'm deep into fan culture. So various people have done justifications for, you know, <laughs> why Nightcrawler's sort of personality changes so much in this sort of first year of his creation. You know, was he trying to like protest too much? Was he like reacting out of insecurity? You know, all of these things that happened to him. But I, I find it hilarious because it's so like out of step with how you expect Nightcrawler to be like, on page two of this comic, he just like basically threatens to kill Wolverine and like, yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> totally here for he it. Did, Wolverine did ruin his copy of the Daily Bugle and Nightcrawler's not happy about that. You know, Nightcrawler <laughs> loves to read the Daily Bugle. <laughs> so, I, do, I do think part of why Nightcrawler seems so angry in this is that Ross Andrew draws his fangs yes, incredibly yes. prominent. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know he's got fangs, but we have we have trimmed those down to be cute fangs. And not demon fangs over time. Uh, I also think what's interesting, what's interesting, especially when you bring up how his character has changed, you know, if you go back to, and I'm not telling you this, I'm telling 
the audience this. But if you go back to what Cockrum's initial inception of the character was back when he was doing it as a pitch for uh, the Outsiders uh, for Legion, was that actually, no, he was just an evil, mean demon guy, but he was trying to be a superhero. And I don't know how much of that is a holdover from that character being a little angry to the Nightcrawler that we know and love today, and how much of that is just growing pains of a character in general. Yeah, I've often thought about that too. I mean, I also have a a, a sneaky subjective theory, and I've done a Twitter thread about this, about the continuing letters from female-identified fans in the pages of early X-Men comics insisting that Nightcrawler is cute. And then the responses from the editors are like, he's not cute. What are you talking about? He's a monster. And they're like, I don't know. I think he's pretty cute. And this just continues for like the first five years of X-Men. And Nightcrawler does seem to get increasingly cute almost in response to these letters. <laughs> it's like Len Wein sitting there like, listen, okay. I'm not, I don't get it, but it's fine. Give the people what we want. We're a comic book company. If they think he's hot, go for it. So we know Nightcrawler doesn't look quite on model here but um it does give the the two characters some excuses to fight on a ferris wheel and then later on a a fictitious cable car going alongside the brooklyn bridge okay is that cable car not real because i've seen it in multiple spider-man things so i did assume it was real i don't believe there's ever been a cable car (laughs) next to the brooklyn bridge well (laughs) to my knowledge well, then, um, hold on. Are you sure it's not the 59th Street Bridge? If it's a different bridge and there was a cable car, I, th- I, I don't know. Is there a cable car on the Queensboro Bridge? That's what's important. Is that that's what the bridge, the bridge is? That's the bridge we're talking about. And I would imagine the Queensboro Bridge is the bridge that is in Spider-Man 1, the movie where Spider-Man has to do a Sophie's Choice and chooses both. I honestly don't know. Do you want to actually look this up right now? I'm going to look this up because it's going to bother me if it's not. If <laughs> Spider-Man 1 lied to me. Well, while Zach is looking this up, uh, I feel like we've got to talk about the other Marvel hero or anti-hero that is involved in here. Anna, were you expecting the presence of one Frank Castle in this story? Well, I have read this comic before. I mean, as a Nightcrawler completist, but... <laughs> But yeah, reading these early Punisher issues is like so wild too, because like, I mean, the character again is basically fully formed. I mean, one of the great things about team ups is when the characters explain like each other to each other, you know, like (laughs) Spider-Man has some line of dialogue where he's like, I don't fully understand like the Punisher because his motives are different from mine. And how does he manage to turn all of New York city into a war zone due to his violent mission of vengeance? And it's just like, okay, I get it. I get it. it. (laughs) But like, but yeah, it's just, he's so disruptive in this space too, though, in some ways, like he busts in on that meeting of the gangsters and he just like machine guns them all. And Mm -hmm. like, did he kill everybody? Or because yeah, it's not clear. <laughs> I think at some point, at some point in one of these two issues, he says he's using some sort of like beanbag rounds or something. But he's using that at bullets. the very end. He's using yeah. that at the very end. Right. But I- I'm pretty sure he just walked in and killed all those people. Zach, did you find anything out? I did. The Roosevelt Island Tramway is an aerial tramway in New York City that spans nice. the East River and connects Roosevelt Island to the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Adam, you have been to New York City so many more times than I have. Yeah, I but I've, I've never, I've never been on that bridge or, or seen that. Your, so you're gonna lose your East Coast privileges. I tell you what. By the way, fun I don't fact live in about New York. 
fun. <laughs> New Jersey is essentially New York. It's fine. No, it's not. Shut up. <laughs> uh, by the way, fun fact about the Roosevelt Island Tramway. It is one of the few forms of mass transit in New York City not run by the MTA, although it does use the Metro card. Wait, who runs it? I don't know. It's privately owned? Yeah. Uh, the Roosevelt Island Operating corporation i don't know this isn't a this isn't a tram car podcast <laughs> you know who's gonna give me crap about this is, every is, one of your friends from new york city no no just one specific new yorker is gonna give me a, her, a headache about this it's, it's gonna be zach yeah, zach rapperoff is. is gonna get on my case about this friend of the show zach rapperoff <laughs> uh anna to your point i do I, I kind of like that the Punisher's here fully formed. He's a weird character for Nightcrawler to be facing off against, but it's I mean, yeah, they don't have a lot of they don't have a lot of interaction here, so it's like hard to kind of pin down the interest that you'd think would because I'm yeah, I'm just like the character that Nightcrawler is at this point. I just like, yeah, I get, agree that that could be interesting, but like I don't know if it comes across in this comic. I don't think it does. What this comic also is, we find out that actually Punisher's not been killing those people. It's been we Jigsaw. Find out it's Jigsaw, Punisher's arch rival, making his first appearance in this comic, a thing I actually was not expecting. That, so this is his first appearance, right? Because yeah. It, this it is the first definitely, appearance of Billy Rousseau. Yeah, it feels that way because Jigsaw in later appearances doesn't look like this yellow spandex clad fellow. Seems more of a street level kind of character, but here he's very super villainy. Yeah, he was like a weird in-between character because he's very horrific here. I mean, the face is like, that's a pretty good design. It's pretty scary, but then they throw him in the generic superhero like gleaming golden jumpsuit, which takes things down a notch. That's that's the thing, because when you see Jigsaw like in Punisher stories that are different and better, he is like a <laughs> horror character. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like if you read Mike Barron Punisher, Jigsaw is like a terrifying, terrifying dude. And it's just they're like 50 percent of the way there. But they forgot that you couldn't just like put people in like a jacket if they <laughs> if you wanted some right. time. <laughs> yeah. It is unfortunate that Nightcrawler isn't really in as much of the second issue. He sort of goes off panel while they have this uh, fight with Jigsaw. Um, he does show back up at the end of the story, though, uh, just to make sure everything's okay before he bamfs away. I did yeah. think at one point that Nightcrawler was going, well, this is not my problem anymore. Yeah. I'm out of here. Well, he's seems, like, seems like this is someone else's business. He had a little sleep under the bridge and then he came back. <laughs> I love that uh, night that uh, Spider Man is trying to apologize to Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler's like, "I'm out, <laughs> I'm gone." <laughs> oh man! So also uh, and uh, also important to uh, Spider Man people, this is Marla Jameson's first appearance uh, before her whirlwind romance with Jay Jonah. Oh right, yeah, yeah. We also get some good uh, Mary Jane content here in in these two issues. Um, you know, Peter walks away from their date pretty handily um to to go catch nightcrawler in the first issue and she'll take a hot dog with everything <laughs> oh boy mary jane just <laughs> she's all out man i love mary jane in this she's she is the star of the show she goes out on a date with flash thompson very specifically because peter's been not going on dates with her oh and yeah like the day she's like not nah. You gotta, you gotta know what you're dealing with, Parker. To be fair, he does not deserve her. <laughs> oh boy, 
so I thought this was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, should we try ranking it? Yes, we should uh, try ranking this. Anna, did you know that we rank stories on this podcast? <laughs> I did. I have no idea how you can conceivably rank Bronze Age stories against 21st century stories and have all of this in a crazy melange of ranking, but I trust your judgment. Good. <laughs> it's the right judgment. And the answer is we rank them poorly. Uh, but we have done a grand total of 708 so far, and we're not stopping. You can't you can't take this from us, people. We're nope. doing this for too long. We could have we could have stopped so long ago. And you know what? We're still here. What was I saying? Oh, it's ranked from best worst. House of X Powers of Ten is number one on our list. X-Men Alpha Flight's at number 100. X-Force Volume 4, 11 through 15, us versus them is at number 200. At number 300 on our list is Deadpool, The Circle Chase. Number 400 on our list is X-Force, uh, 7 to 10, Old Ghosts. Uh, number 500 on this list is Weapon X, The Draft, Sauron. Number 600 on this list is Sabretooth Mystique. Number 700 on this list is Magneto Volume 1, a comic that's not about Magneto. And number 708 on this list is The Draco. So at 404, we have uh, Spider-Man versus Wolverine, uh, a story notable for uh, Spider-Man killing somebody. <laughs> Spider-Man did kill Charlemagne real good in that comic. Yeah, killed a lady. So better or worse than that? I I thought this was more fun than that. What do, what do you guys think? I'm going to think overthink too much about what matters in terms of rankings. Like, I'm like, I feel like this is actually a more important Spider-Man and Punisher story than it is an X-Men story. So does mm. that lower it on the rankings? If we See, wanted to. That's an excellent point and the kind of thing that we have to consider here. And Zach is also correct that it's completely subjective, but it, it has to be a, an agreement. So higher or lower, Anna, what do you think? I'd put it higher for amusement value. That's my totally subjective opinion, because there are several panels from this comic, including Nightcrawler saying that Spider-Man can take this rifle from his corpse and Spider-Man saying, that guy's a little dramatic, isn't he? That made me <laughs> laugh out loud while reading it. And that's got to be worth something. All right, cool. We have Nightcrawler volume four, one to four at 399. I think this is better oh, that's, than that. No, that's wait, one to volume four. That's the Claremont stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the Claremont stuff's better. Okay. All yeah, right. So we're it's in better, this. Better. So we're in this window. I would say uh, this isn't as. Is this. Eh, uh, this is better than X Men Kingbreaker. Yeah, but I don't think it's as good as The Hunt for Xavier at 401. Anna, do you have strong feelings about 1998's The Hunt for Xavier? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not particularly, but I do feel that it's so much more of an X Men comic. It's hard to rank it against this one. I don't know. Here's what I'm going to say. Hunt for Xavier has better art. Uh, yeah. I don't know what Ross Andrews is doing on this, but oof, I do not particularly care for Ross Andrews art in this. Uh, it's not bad. So, yeah, it's fine. It's kind of, yeah. It's, it's late not 70s what I want. It's not what I want from a 70s Spider-Man comic. <laughs> All right. So that was the very first encounter between Nightcrawler and Spider-Man. And uh, our next story is their next encounter. Which one is this, Zach? Uh, this is Marvel Team Up, uh, number 89. It was our request for this week. It's called Shootout Over Center Ring. It's written by Chris Claremont, Michael Nasser, and Rich Buckler. Uh, split art duties on this in a oddly like 
important story for Nightcrawler that I had forgotten. Uh, I was, yeah. oh, I'll be honest. I was always trying to figure out in my head. It's like, okay, but where did who retconned that thing where he was like in a freak show for a while? I assume that was like that late. I know there was a late uh, or mid two thousands comic that added that in, and I was like, okay, maybe that's just what it is. It's fine. I don't like it, but I get it. No, this was that was a Claremont thing. He did that one. <laughs> that's all chris well yeah they pick it they pick it up in the roberto aguirre sacasa and Derek robertson series from right oh when did that series start 2006 2005 i think is when that series ran and then Something yeah right there Sounds right. so that series picks up a lot of deep cut continuity stuff and tries to make it make sense and in the grand tradition of making nightcrawler's backstory make more sense makes it entirely more confusing <laughs> but you know not the first person to do that including claremont who as the both of you pointed out i think when we were chatting offline or maybe we were chatting on twitter amanda was not kurt's foster sibling at the time of this story which is written by claremont who is the same person that made them foster siblings like eight months after this yeah i wanted to talk about this because amanda sefton is our that's like, his girlfriend's sister for people who don't know she's also a witch Right, but in this story, we love her. We love this, Amanda. We're in this, a pro Amanda podcast. In this point in continuity, Anna, correct me if I'm wrong. She's just a stewardess and Nightcrawler's mm-hmm. girlfriend, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So none of the sorceress, day tripper, sister. I think that will, you know, Foster's sister from the carnival. Like none of that is is here yet, right? None it of will that is literally here yet. show up in yeah. her next appearance. That's the beauty of it. And then she so- has had. Four appearances before this, and immediately it's going to change. Oh, I love it. And I mean, it creates a lot of weird context because they're clearly having sex in this comic. Between mm, very like very clearly. Between the trunk scene and the fact that in the last panel, Spider-Man's like, hey, you want to come and finish catching the bad guy? And Kurt's like, I'd rather go have sex with my girlfriend. Bye. <laughs> Which is <laughs> well, amazing. You say that, but at the same time, all right, so the, the trunk scene that you're talking about uh, is that Nightcrawler is putting uh, Amanda's suitcase into her trunk and says, uh, want to make beautiful music together. But at the very same time, he allows himself to go get completely distracted by uh, Arcade 747. Like Adam, 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 I think she's talking about the part where they both get thrown into a trunk and he talks about doing some things with his tail. Yeah, there's there are multiple scenes in yes, and she says, "Watch where." Okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's something about getting getting her in this position or something. No, it's a it's an overtly horny comic, as a Nightcrawler comic should be. I apologize. (laughs) I was just trying to segue over to the fact that Arcade apparently has a 747. It does not go saflang, but Nightcrawler feels the need to just walk onto it like a dummy. He, he has a lust for adventure. I mean, what could you say? He yeah, he really does. Um, I also I got for him. very confused by the captioning here. I realize that this is not the intention, but the caption Nightcrawler is on the 747. He notices this is Arcade's plane. And as he's standing there, he's hearing voices from a limousine outside. And the caption reads, the voice with the Texas twang Nightcrawler recognizes immediately. It turns his heart to ice. And the next voice is Arcade. Now, 
Arcade doesn't have a Texas <laughs> accent. I was so confused. But now the, the line We're of done. dialogue is we got nothing more to say, Pally. Now, Arcade is not supposed to be from Texas. That's not his backstory. I don't okay, think but was it at the time? Because the, this is like the second Arcade, third Arcade that's my, story. That's my question. Because the Carnival guy is supposed to be the Texan accent, correct? Or is it actually supposed to be Arcade? I think it's supposed to be arcade. I can um I can easily see no because the carnival guy Adam, it's so important that he's not from Texas. He's actually from uh, Bavaria because he took over the circus. Oh right. Here's the beauty of it, and Anna, I'm going to need your help getting Nightcrawler continuity correct. Uh, <laughs> but what what is explained here and explained by Kurt to Amanda mm-hmm. at their old circus, where it feels like at minimum someone would have been like. Is is that is that is that Amanda like who used to be an acrobat with us? What's she what's she doing? What's she doing over here? Uh but no, she's like, man, why do you have such bad beef with this guy? And he's like, Oh yeah, he bought my circus and uh threw me instead of making me a trapeze artist again, he threw me in the uh freak show. And all I'm thinking is if I'm a man, I'm like, yeah, I was I was literally right there. We it was there the whole time. Why did I even ask this? I could have just like played along. It's a very bizarre, like introduced this part of his continuity before confusing it in her next appearance. You do have to wonder whether Claremont had already planned the next issue at this point or whether he's just throwing stuff out there. I mean, he does have that habit of just kind of throwing a lot of balls into the air and some of them get picked up and some of them don't just giving himself a lot of opportunities to tell stories with things if he wants to, and not all of them pay off. So I'm really not sure. Yeah. Because like, well, because no, the stuff about his brother wouldn't have even been until would that have been that would, that, is that that's in, in the annual, four? isn't it? That's yeah. in the annual. Yeah. 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 That's like, that's like eight months after this issue. So yeah, yeah we so don't Claremont's have any like, backstory for him up to now. Yeah, he's like, actually, I don't like this story. I'm going to do a different <laughs> one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But because of comics, you don't get that luxury of forgetting it forever. Uh, so Nightcrawler and Spider-Man uh, team up to fight this circus guy. Right, because uh, Peter Parker is at the circus and, you know, Nightcrawler leaps out and gets shot at. <laughs> like the, I like the thing where he impersonates Spider-Man, too. And he's like, well, we both like are like blue and red. I can just swing around on this trapeze and everyone will think I'm Spider-Man, right? And I'm like, will they? I don't know. That's the that's the thing. At a at a very high conceptual level, yes, they are both flippy boys uh that wear blue and red. But the way they wear blue and red is incredibly different and also one of them is a demon. <laughs> I feel like I would notice that that's a different dude. I feel like I would notice one of them had a tail, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, civilians in the Marvel Universe don't seem to be super observant anyway, so maybe this is just built into the context of this world. Yeah. I do appreciate that these two characters are getting along better this time. They seem like old pals now. It's it's fun for them. Uh, Nightcrawler's like, oh, I'm a superhero now. And, like, I I really do like their dynamic. Like, Spider-Man is a great character for anyone to team up with. Like that is one of the best things about Spider-Man is you can throw, he's like Wolverine. You throw him in any story. He's going to find something to gel with, with somebody, but I do especially like his dynamic with Nightcrawler. You don't get to, you don't always get to see Spider-Man just like 
having fun with somebody else who wants to have fun with him. Normally you're picking on Spider-Man or making Spider-Man's day worse. And Nightcrawler's just like, hey, I'm a fun dude who's really cool. You seem you seem cool. Do you want to be friends? I like that. <laughs> yeah. Aww, he would be such a good influence on him if he was around more often. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, the villain in this is not so great. It's this uh, dude named Cutthroat who's working, I guess, for Hardeen, the, the, the evil circus owner. I mean, it's kind of a nobody villain, but he does scare some zoo animals, which is an X-Men tradition that, that goes back to the first couple issues of x-men right yeah he's around i guess <laughs> i got so, nothing for cutthroat there's three villains in this and one of them is good one of them is extant i guess and then one of them's cutthroat yeah it is a real shame that uh arcade is only like in the very beginning of this story and doesn't show up again and then the story just kind of ends unfortunately which is of course a very very uh very, very Marvel team up tradition of, and we have 20 pages here. <laughs> what do you, what do you think about the art in this? Because I think, I think the sections that Rich Buckler does are a lot stronger than Nasser's work. And it's very interesting to see them right next to one another. Well, who was responsible for some of the cool, like onomatopoeia sound effects that we have, like the double bamf and the like page long smooch sound effect? Because I didn't think either of those worked that well, but they were very graphic and interesting and I enjoyed them. That's probably uh, that's probably Clem Robbins work on lettering. Yeah, and he's probably the letterer. You know, I say that he's not like a big letterer, and that's just more because I don't think of him as a big letterer for Marvel at the time. He did some stuff on and off, uh, but he apparently ended up working with Dark Horse and Vertigo and did a huge number of lettering for books like Hellboy and Why the Last Man and a bunch of other stuff. So he probably got better. This would have been very early in his career. Like, oh, this would have been his second year lettering. I don't mind it, though. It's got that feel that, you know, and this often gets stuck on, like, books that aren't necessarily, like, I mean, Marvel Team Up was a big book, but, I mean, it's not, like, a franchise leader. Yeah, it's not essential. It's sort of like a bunch of stuff we throw in there, which is, you know, that makes it additionally strange that we have this important Nightcrawler backstory kind of threaded in here. But, you know, it's got that, like, feeling of people trying stuff out. And, you know, those, like, creative sound effects are, like, part of that. Like, I don't know. I do really like both of those. Like, the smooch and, like, the double bamp where, like, Kurt is jumping through, like, the two giant graphic bamp sound effects from one place to another. And we have him doing some nice acrobatic poses through that sequence. I tweeted that one out. People enjoyed it. So it was it was popular on on. Twitter, which is still existent at the time of this recording. <laughs> we As to, we're recording. We have to specify that. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen afterwards. No. no I, I, I feel like Nasser's got a good handle on the characters. Um, I like the way, you know, I, I like the body language of what he's doing. I, what I think Buckler is doing better, which is, I don't think he's as good as the figures or the acting, but the panel structures that he tries out are really cool. Like there's mm-hmm. one a page that looks kind of like prismatic. There's another one where Hardeen is kind of like at a panel that's coming out at the viewer. Like he's just trying things that are kind of interesting. Um, so I, I like those. It has that kind of like trying to be Neil Adamsy kind of yes. thing going on with it, which, you know, a lot, so many people were doing for so long, but 
Yeah, I like anybody that can do Nightcrawler justice in terms of like the fluidity of the character. And there are some really nice acrobatic sequences here of the character kind of capturing the gracefulness that he should have, but like with that hint of monstrousness too, because believe it or not, one of the complaints I have about some Nightcrawler artists is that they actually draw him too pretty. And I think he should have a little bit of uncanniness about him. And I think that that's captured pretty well here. I enjoyed the art. Well, I think this is an interesting one because it's, I don't think this is as good as the the amazing Spider-Man story we just talked about. Um, despite it having probably more significance for backstory for the character. What do you guys think? No, I think, I think, I think that the amazing Spider-Man story is better than this. I don't know. Anna, your thoughts. I think it's better in terms of more polished. I like this one better because it's got more emotional depth to it. And it's got mm-hmm. more, of, and it's got that texture that Claremont brings to stories, right? I mean, you get this sense of a world that exists beyond this comic. You know, you have Nightcrawler picking up Amanda from the airport. You have the whole context of their relationship and their life together that's kind of woven into this. And you can imagine all of those things. And, you know, a lot of it is hinted at here. And you get this complex backstory for Nightcrawler. And there's a couple of like sections of narration that like I kind of found quite moving like the half splash where they first arrive at the circus and you get the narration Mm -hmm. about Kurt Wagner's heart you know seizes because he misses the circus so much and he's never really felt at home like in the way that he felt at home there and to me there wasn't an emotional moment like that in like the other Spider-Man issue but at the same time I think that the Spider-Man 161 162 was significantly more polished than this but I liked the weirdness and kind of like the yeah I don't know the emotionality and the all over the place weirdness of of this one a little bit more subjectively yeah I think the Claremont writing is stronger but the the art and the the technical quality of the the spider why did I just do that like I'm a I just did a hand gesture like I'm Italian. I feel uh, like if Buckler, I feel like I feel like if Buckler was doing the whole uh, team up issue, it would probably push it above it. Yeah, probably, probably. It's just like uh, but, if I look at if I look at all of the Claremont Arcade Nightcrawlery stories right around here, it's a lesser one of those. Yeah, uh, but oh, I, I don't think we're going. I don't think we're going too far down the list uh, compared to where we're at. Because here's one I want to ask you about, Anna. Uh, how do you think about this story compared to Saga of Chris Star, the Crystal Warrior number six, where oh, Nightcrawler shows up? That's a dear favorite of mine. Is it a favorite <laughs> because it's just very weird that that comic exists? It is very weird, but it ties into that thing that I was mentioning before about like, you know, the female fandom of Nightcrawler and stuff, because Mary Jo Duffy, who wrote that comic, was one of the women who wrote to Marvel saying Nightcrawler is cute. And then later she gets to do this comic and look what she does with Nightcrawler, puts him in like a sex farce story in which like... I'm pretty sure he had sex with someone else and then goes back and has sex with Amanda in that story. Like there's a lot going on. So for the like history and texture of that and its sort of importance, I would say, I would argue in the history of Nightcrawler fandom, that issue is, is better and more significant to me, despite my also finding team up 89. Very fun. That was a good case. All right, so we're going lower than 415. I think that's fair. I think I prefer Saga of Crystal the Crystal Warrior also. Uh, yeah. Not as eloquently. Um, but this is better than at 423, Hunt for Wolverine, Mystery, and Madripoor. Yes, it is. Uh, it's better I, than I would 421, say. X23, 4 to 7. 
It is. Which one is New Mutants Annual Number Three? Which one's that? Uh, uh, that's, oh, that's that's the that's the Impossible Man one. This is better than the Impossible Man Annual. Yeah, I, I would I, put it. Oh, go ahead. I would put it below four eighteen, which is Bishop's Crossing. There you go. I would put it below Exiles 62 to 65 Time Breakers, a.k.a. that time that Beak saved the universe with his superpower of making friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is going to be our new 420. It will be our new number 420. Anna, you should go read exclusively that arc of Exiles and nothing else in Exiles because that book's secretly bad. But the part secretly. where Beak- yeah, a lot of people really think that Exiles is a hidden gem. Ooh, it is just not. too long. I have um, read most of it, and I think I stopped at like 50 or something and didn't quite make it there, tragically. Right move. Just personal opinion. No, hold on. The part where the part where Beak beats King Hyperion by finding other Hyperions and making friends with them and saying, hey, there's this guy that's being a real jerk to me. They're like, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> that's great. I didn't no notes. That. This next one is one that we are going to have some notes on because I know that Anna has different opinions on this than (laughs) some of us. And I'm excited about that. I like that tension that we can bring. Uh, We're going to talk about a story where Spider-Man does not appear because in this reality, he has been replaced with the amazing Nightcrawler. Uh, This is Age of X-Men, the amazing Nightcrawler, where Nightcrawler gets Spider-Man's logo. Uh, One through five written by Shauna McGuire. And Juan Figueri uh, came out in the Age of X Men event. Beep 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 beep. It's an X Men update. You guys know the drill. My voice hurts. I don't want to do the whole thing. And and so Nightcrawler in the Age of X Men is a movie star. There is a movie studio, and he is the biggest movie star on the planet. His co-star is Megan. And, uh, you know, as we saw in some of the other Age of X-Men stories, you're not allowed to have relationships in this world. Uh, Family is bad. Having a partner is bad. Um, And, well, wouldn't you know it? The problem is that Nate Gray's first two relationships were his mom (laughs) and then a nice zombie lady (laughs) who his mom then murdered. So Nate Gray's not doing so hot. (laughs) Fair, he doesn't fair. think the relationships are good. Oh my god! I understand why he feels that way, even if I disagree with him. He's had it rough. Uh, so our main tension here is that, if, you know, our co-stars are uh, well, they're hooking up, and they both feel very conflicted about it. Nightcrawler more so than Megan, and it leads to some some troubles. And uh, I feel like when this was coming out, this was one of the minis that was not as uh, appreciated. So, Anna, is this one that, that you like? Did you like when this one that was coming out? Okay, well, I didn't read it when it was coming out because I was I took an X Men hiatus for like about five years. And as then, is like, good and healthy for yeah. all people. You picked a good <laughs> then, five years. That was a good yeah, time to do it. Honestly, I, you could. You, I like a lot of those stories in that time. You were fine to catch up on the good ones later. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things happened, you know. I I really think it was like I was reading Extraordinary X-Men, and there was like, 
the part where they cut off Nightcrawler's tail and send it back to the X-Men as ransom. And I was like, you know what? I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> That's issue one. That is issue one of that comic. <laughs> I, was, I know I bought that off the rack and I was just like, I'm out. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I hadn't been reading X-Men for a while at that point, And I thought about picking it up again various times. But I also remember like going into a comic book store and like asking the guy like, Hey, what's going on with X-Men now? And he's like, oh, don't even bother. It's rebooting again in a month. So like I, I quit for another three years. Um, and then, like so many people, I did read Hoxpox. I wasn't as hot on Hoxpox as some people, but it did get me thinking about the world again. And I was like, oh, I'll catch up with, you know, what my guy, what my guy Nightcrawler's been up to. And then I stumbled across the series on Marvel Unlimited and like, like, Kurt and Megan as star-crossed movie stars with a forbidden <laughs> romance and they attend like an eyes wide shut sex club like yeah. <laughs> this is a little bit too pilfered from my dreams or my unfinished fanfics folder like how could it not appeal to me this is like targeted at me and I mean, I got to the end of the first issue of this and like, you know, the scene of like Kurt sitting naked on the side of the bed with Megan in bed. And mm -hmm. it will not be a secret to anyone who knows me. And I'm sure it's been very clear by the tone of my discussion throughout this podcast that I am very um, sexually interested in Nightcrawler. So Fair enough. I saw this image and I was just like, it was like you're lonely and you saw like your ex at a party and they're looking so good. And you're like, all of those good memories come flooding back. And then uh, I'm, I'm in again. I'm in again. I want to, I want to see what my guy's been up to. So <laughs> I can, I can appreciate that a lot. And I do think that, you know, I think the stuff with Nightcrawler and Megan tends to work better in this. Like I like them. I like them as a couple, uh, even though they're, their status as a couple is an odd twisty thing, but I think that makes it better. Yeah. What I'm less, I'm less fond about the world that they build around Nightcrawler for this story and the specific plot beats that they give him. So what, what ends up happening for folks who haven't read this Nightcrawler run or is the lead actor in a movie studio where his support staff is Megan, uh, two out of three Stepford cuckoos. And then Kylan, Kylan in Magma, mm -hmm. which is just, I don't know. I'm sure you like Kylan more than me. I know I have a negative opinion of all the Alan Davis Excalibur <laughs> characters in general. It's just, I get it. It's just, I think it's fine. I think it's fine that they've sat on the back burner for a while. That's all. Uh, but I think it's a weird pick. Also Magma, like who cares? Uh, I don't know what she's doing and she seems completely unrecognizable in this comic. And their, their antagonist movie studio is ran by Lady Mastermind with Hellion and what's her name with sparkly fists? Surge. Surge. And Briquette for some reason. I love Briquette being in there, actually. That one's that <laughs> one's A plus. Good pick. <laughs> but they're they're fighting over this. So you get this part of intrigue between these movie studios, which really never goes anywhere. No. That that's a disappointment. Uh, it's also you, have the, you don't you have really get a, this, Oh, go ahead. You don't really get a chance to. You see some movie posters 
like some movie parody posters throughout, but you really don't get a sense of the kinds of movies that either studio are making, which would have been a really fun opportunity. Yeah, I do agree yeah. there. That could have been something that you could have woven throughout the series as like a way to, because I really like the thing that they do in the first one. You know, it's the Age of Apocalypse fake out mm-hmm. and, you know, it gives us like a nice quick hit introduction to this world. And I think that was done really well. But mm-hmm. the fact that we don't have other scenes like that threaded through it, I think is a missed opportunity. Well, I think that's that's how I feel about this comic in general. I I think a lot of the building blocks, especially in that first issue, are strong. But I do think it stumbles as it goes on. There's a like there's a weird fight scene in the middle of issue three or at the end of issue three, start of issue four, that is the most obligatory we have to have a fight scene mm. yeah. set up that I've ever seen. There is there is an ongoing thread where Megan is trying to get Kurt to break out of his shell a bit more and break the rules and continue their relationship. Uh, but at the same time, we find out that uh, Kurt has actually done this before and Kurt and Megan have done this before and uh, they have a kid which or at least Kurt has a kid I don't think it's explicitly said to be Megan's kid and I think it'd be weird if it was just given that she's a movie star if people are going to know if she's pregnant yeah do but, they ever really spell that out I feel like they don't I mean it's clearly I mean the daughter is blue so we have the you know, daughter is Kurt's a, daughter TJ from every universe. Yeah, it's it's explicit that that, that Tinia is uh, is his child. I, what what's very weird is the way that <laughs> that Megan uh, lures Nightcrawler back into this reality is by assuming the image of Mystique, um, which also is not really explored. It's just here's some, you know, here's a character to make for an interesting you know last page cliffhanger but it's it's a little bit of a strange choice well there's like an interesting context teased with the mystique appearance though i mean it's explained as megan's empathic metamorph powers responding to what kurt needs her to be and he needs her to be like (laughs) his repressed mother reminding him of his family relationships and Mm. reminding him of because there's this whole context that's introduced of like she has this dialogue that says Kurt sided with Mystique against this version of the world at one point and then like got re-educated and abandoned her which like Mm. oh that would have been an interesting story like that was just like mentioned in a line of dialogue and yeah like there's a lot of gestures to kind of a larger world that's like throughout this comic that I do find intriguing but I mean I have the same issues with this that I have with the Age of X-Men event in general which is that it makes no sense (laughs) like it's like there's some interest in this metaphor that's set up but like it's this story about individuality but like they keep mixing up like relationships with sex and love which are not necessarily the same thing and as a scholar of superhero sexuality I find that frustrating but um, I would say yeah. I would say Age of X-Men as a as a whole. And I, I'm saying this with a lot of love to a lot of the people that worked on that comic. That was definitely an event that came out because, oh, no, we have to fill in a few months. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there are some issues that could have been tightened up in that. I would agree. Yeah. It's an ambitious event that I have a lot of love for, um, you know, depending on which, you know, I especially loved Prisoner X. Um but uh, it, it also has the issue with some of the minis where, and this to keep it on this one, 
it ends with, Hey, we'll resolve this in the Omega issue. And like, did they really like, I don't (laughs) know because it it ends, it ends as a shaggy dog story. Essentially Uh, you get one change, which is that Megan and Tiana Jean, a TJ nightcrawler's kid get to escape and run off. Hmm. But the rest of the world is the exact same. Right. So nothing substantial feels like a change. Nightcrawler has his entire choice is self-sacrifice and saying, I'm actually going to not fight against this world, which does to me feel a little bit odd at odds with Nightcrawler, who I feel like is a character that would continue to rebel against things like he's not the he's not the pragmatist that others are and saying that I will do this for the greater good. But that may just be my read on the character. I can see that, but I can also see another read of it where it sets it up so that he's making the self-sacrifice for love and family, which mm-hmm. does seem like something that he would do. I mean, it's sort of set up to be super, super tragic because of right. how much he does love, you know, <laughs> well, he loves <laughs> like the concept of love. I mean, that's like something that defines this character. Like, well, it's that's, love and hope. that's the only thing that's, that's the only mm-hmm. thing that he has connection here. He's Mm-hmm. he's thinking of a concept because he doesn't know this baby. This is a baby. Yeah, he found. Yeah. It looks like yeah. him, but he doesn't yeah. have any connection to this baby. Well, that's because his memory has been erased. That's fine. But if your memory is erased, then you don't remember it. No, I know. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. I do think the mystique stuff is weird. And I find this every, again, this is a pet peeve. Every time someone's talking about the mystique and nightcrawler relationship, it throws me off because their relationship in my mind is always her throwing him off of a waterfall. <laughs> right and i they feel like they don't have a history i, I feel like that's just a really tough it's really tough P- parents are very difficult to deal with if my mom threw me off a waterfall and then found me as an adult and then didn't ever apologize for the throwing me off a waterfall just been like yeah man that was crazy right <laughs> i would not be i would not be thrilled with her <laughs> We were just talking about that on Gosh Golly Wow because we covered X-Men Unlimited number four, the waterfall (laughs) issue. And uh, yeah, I mean, we were saying that basically, you know, like a lot of comics since then have treated Kurt and Mystique like they have this complex relationship, Mm -hmm. but they actually have no relationship. (laughs) He already has a weird relationship complex with his mom. He has a different weird mom. (laughs) (laughs) What I will say is that I had not read this one in a while and going back and reading it apart from the rest of the event, I, I felt like it read better. Um, it read, it reads a lot tighter altogether. I yeah. will say that. Um, I think the cuckoo stuff, you know, also presents a huge opportunity and that I, I think this is a problem that um, Leah had, you know, with, uh, with, with her series as well. Um with uh why am i why am i blanking on extremists. The extremists extremists thank you i wanted to call it exterminators i know that's not right um <laughs> is that you know you introduce these issues in terms of these people that need to be connected but have to be pushed apart and there's really not enough time to explore that within these issues you know or that they're just not packing as much into these issues as, as you can um and uh I, I find that to be true here you know there's a lot of space that you could use to to delve into these things that's that's not used it's it's i don't know it it feels like it's a little too passive um in the in the way that it explores these characters 
Can I tell you one secret thing about this comic you won't know that is about not being passive? Okay. Uh, There is a secret cover that didn't get a lot of push online because it was under a poly bag about the secret history of the Age of X-Men. Yes. And it's Nightcrawler being really mad that people are faking the moon landing. So they have to brainwash Nightcrawler (laughs) so that they can fake the moon landing. And it's a Carlos Pacheco cover. Rest in peace, Carlos. Rest in peace, Carlos. My goodness. They do include uh, that cover with the trade. It's in it's in the trade. Oh, all great. of all of Adam, all of the Age of X Men books have a secret uh, secret history cover. I have to look these up. I feel like I've I've seen some of them, but I don't remember that one at it all. Is, it is great, and I honestly wish that they would have uh, like you. It is all the stuff that you would think that happened off screen in Age of X Men. They did a cover for it and told nobody about it. <laughs> Like, there is a secret history of the X-Men, like, uh, Department X mind-wiping Jean Grey so that she didn't have sex with Cable, or not Cable, Bishop, didn't remember it. There's a secret history of getting uh, getting uh, Apocalypse taken down. There's a secret history of Hope's sacrifice. There's a secret history of the original X-Men, including Nate Grey. Like, there's a lot of that in there. Yeah, and they just didn't publish them to people nah. like me who would be interested. Say la vie. There's so C'est much. There's so much of Age of X Men that is off panel, off page. That you know, you kind of have to like read between the lines. But so much of it would have been more fun if it had just been you know explored story wise. So, um, I. I don't know. For me, I don't think this is as strong as the other two stories that we talked about this week. Oh my goodness. I'm I'm going oh. way hard the other way. I think this Adam, is Adam, Adam, um, even I'm going hard the other way on that one. Okay, so this is better than the other two stories. Hey, look, I'm outnumbered here, so how <laughs> high do we want to go? Hold on. Let me age up because we've talked about most of Age of X Man, but not all of it. We have Prisoner X at 46. Prisoner X is better than this. We have Next Gen at 94. Next Gen is better than that. These, these are not top 100 stories. These are not top 100s. <laughs> no. And our, our number 100 is X-Men Alpha Flight. Can you, can, you, can you make an argument? Oh, I can't make an argument that high. I can't. I can't in good conscience, despite how much I personally think that this is a better comic than we've given it credit for. <laughs> I well, think take I a, think take a look around at some of the 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 hundreds on this list, Anna. Yeah, um, your list has so many entries on it. My computer froze up as I was trying to like scroll oh. through it, but I do okay, have that's it open. Very, <laughs> that's very funny. That's fair. Um, right now, three hundred is Deadpool the Circle Chase. I feel like we're actually around that level. Actually, I'm gonna have to put it below that because here's here's my hard hard ceiling. 311 is Here Comes Tomorrow from New X-Men. This ain't as good as Here Comes Tomorrow. All right. Here's one for you, Anna. Um, Uncanny X-Men 204. What happened to Nightcrawler? Oh, the, uh, see, that's one of that's one of my faves. That's yeah. like one of the best Nightcrawler comics. This is not better than that, right? No, I have to say that this isn't better than that. Although I do think it deals with some similar themes, which I appreciate. Sort of, okay. I, again, part of no, my argument no. for the value of this one is that, like, I do think that Nightcrawler's internal conflicts are handled in interesting ways. All of those things about I, performance I we were agree. talking about earlier, his utopianism at war with his romanticism, blah, blah, blah. I just wish that those themes were presented in a package, an overall package that was better. Like, that I do fair. appreciate. 
I appreciate what Maguire was going for in this comic. I'm not sure for me she personally succeeded. I will say this is not my least favorite Age of X-Man comic. We've not <laughs> talked about <laughs> no, Apocalypse and the Extracts, which is yeah. a trash garbage comic. I don't actually. like that one at all. Down at Man, three, I can't wait to revisit that one. That one's <laughs> oof. At 359, we have the final arc of uh, Claremont's Nightcrawler series. Um, I I personally like that better, but uh, I... I, w- I would rank this higher. For me okay. personally, as a Nightcrawler person, this is probably my second favorite Nightcrawler solo. Like wow. after okay. 85 well, Cockerham. I think it's my okay. second favorite. I do feel like there's got to be a pretty big gap between the 85 Cockerham and then... <laughs> Well, those are hard to compare, but it's just this, like in terms of like holding together and one that I've reread like a lot, which I have reread this one a lot and the personal affection I have for it for bringing me back into the X-Men fold. You have to give it credit for that. That's truly worth a couple that, of spots that on is, the list. That is a gift. That is a gift to all of us. I do. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Um, so we have a window here between 330 and 359. Where's it going? I'm going to I'm going to say that this is not as good as. This isn't as good as Colossus God Country, God's Country at three forty six. I don't uh, think I, I like that one better. At least, especially for the uh, the artwork, um, the art in that the Brett Blevins art in that. Is so I, I, I would give the edge to Trial of Gambit at four three forty seven. I would say this is better than that issue. Uh, those issues of Spider Man and the X Men where they fight the Brood that are also the Venom. Venom. That's a great place for it. All right. So this is going to be our new 349. <laughs> this can be 349. I I'm love okay it. with this. All right. I I will tell you, I was very excited about the Amazing Nightcrawler. I love the idea of Nightcrawler being the Spider-Man of his universe because I truly do believe that Nightcrawler deserves more. Nightcrawler is legitimately one of my favorite X-Men. All right. So Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Um, your expertise in this area is uh, commendable as always. Where can people... <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> it is. I, I mean... People need people need people horny for Nightcrawler. We That's need... what I want in my world. Listen, this is a show that has featured uh, experts in a wide variety of areas. You know, mm-hmm. Shatterstar, you know, you, you name it. So... Uh, we, we need our, our character experts here. So, um, Anna, where can people find you and generally what are you up to that you want people to know about? Well, again, as long as Twitter still exists, you can find me on Twitter under my name, very boring, papard underscore Anna, my fandom and professional identities are pretty blurred there. Um, always find me tweeting about something fun there. You can find me on the Gosh Golly Wow podcast. So you can find that on every podcast app or just at our website, goshgollywow.com. And you can find me again, presuming Twitter still exists, at the Twitter account Sequential Scholars, where at the time of this recording, um, I work on that uh, project with Andrew DeMann of Claremont Run fame. We are the empresarios of that. We are currently working on a series of threads about Alias. And depending on when this episode comes out, we might be working on a series of threads about Indigenous comics. So both of those things are going to be awesome. So look out for that. And check out my piece about Nightcrawler and the importance of swashbuckling, written for Dave Cockrum's birthday on November 11th, which fans will know is also Nightcrawler's unofficial birthday in his honor. Nice. Folks, we can pretend like this was coincidental to Nightcrawler's birthday and not me and Adam saying, oh no, we have a Nightcrawler episode coming up. We've got to figure out how to do this. Uh, but we're excited about that. Adam, what do you got going on? Uh, folks, you can still pick up a copy of uh, my book with Marcelo Biot, 
black square over at adamrec.gumroad.com. Um, you can always follow me on uh, Twitter if it's still, you know, still afloat. They seem to be firing everybody, but um, at Arthur Stacy. Um, but um, I've been also highlighting my Instagram just in case. So Instagram slash Adam.rec if that's more your, your speed right now. And uh, Zach, what do you got going on? What are we doing next week? Uh, I've got going on my goal of people never finding me is <laughs> increasingly becoming more and more realistic. And I cannot wait for our inevitable demise. Uh, but between that next week, we have an episode all about a different kind of fandom. That's right. Get out of here, jot shippers. It's a Schema Forever episode. Woo! Uh, did we pick this episode? No. Are we going to make fun of all the gene stands during this entire one? You betcha. <laughs> I don't pumped. care. They're fictional people. If they want to they make out with different people, that's fine. I both have a statue of Emma Frost and Jean Grey somewhere behind me. So I am, I am Switzerland in this conflict. <laughs> uh, but... Anna, once again, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Uh, always, always welcome anytime. And until uh, until next time, folks, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survived the experience. <laughs>